Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, welcome in the... It's, it's finally feeling like falling. We else feel like that? Like it's like cooling down? Hey, all right. Yeah, yeah. Rachel's celebrating it. That's great. I'm glad. That's good. That's good. Uh, hey, if we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you. I, I get to bring you the word this morning for the next two and a half hours. It's going to be great. Um, so, <laughs> is he joking? We'll find out. And so, if you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, while you're turning there, I just kind of want to set this up. So, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, talking about spiritual gifts, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but... We're going to read one of the most famous passages in the Bible. You've probably heard it at weddings or on TV. Um, and I want us to get the context of it. So I want to set this up the right way. So um, we live in a time where um, it, it's, it's hip to be spiritual but not religious, right? Like, we, like this is kind of the language that we, that we use, like, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I believe in spiritual things. I believe in God. I'm all about that, but I can't stand religion. Religion is sort of a man-made thing. No, thank you. I, I'd rather sort of do spirituality. Like, and the, the word that sort of buzzed is authentically. No, I don't know. That's necessarily the right usage of that word. Um, and 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 then you hear things like this. You hear people say uh, statements like, um, "I love Jesus, but not the church." Right, like I love Je- I, I I love Jesus, but I can't stand Christians. I, I I love God, but I don't like the people who claim to be of God. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. They're all judgmental. They're all this. They're all that. Um, and today, one of the things I want us to see is how uh, incongruent that type of sentiment is with biblical Christianity. That is to say, like if you believe in the scriptures, if you believe that they're true, then to say, all right, I love Jesus, but not the church, which is the bride of Christ, the thing that Jesus says is so dear to him that he calls it his wife, like, wow. Um, I don't know that you can go that far. And so um, what we're going to do is look at a really famous passage, and we're going to start uh, to give it uh, context. And so actually, we're going to go in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I said 12, but we're actually starting chapter 13. So if you're like, oh my gosh, flip one page, you're going to be okay. All right. Um, and, and, and so, again, in this context of talking about spiritual gifts and church and church life, uh, the Apostle Paul writes the following. He says this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Again, if I have uh, the gift of prophecy, he continues, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge uh, and can... Uh, if I have faith that can move a mountain, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And then he goes even further, talking about like all these like spiritual things. He goes, if I give all that I possess to the poor and, uh, and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, if I do all this spiritual stuff, if I'm Mr. Spirituality, if I'm Mr. Dedication to faith, if I'm practicing spiritual gifts, if I'm selfless, like it's the point of like, hey, I'm letting myself just be like martyred even, but I don't do the following thing, there's no point. Because like, guys, the thing that I'm about to talk about, because he's setting up this conversation about love, the thing that I'm about to talk about is so important that if I do nothing else but it, everything else has been a waste of time. Essentially, spiritual gifts, spirituality, faith, church life, all that stuff is like icing with no cake. I mean, there's just no point. So you're like, I, I like the can of icing. You're weird, but okay. All right. All right. 
it's fine. But like, but we understand, like, listen, like what he's saying is, listen, all this spirituality without love is pointless. In other words, this is the most important thing that we can do as Christians, right? Like, that's it. Like, okay, all spirituality without love, why? All right? But here's the thing to understand. Here's where most of us have gotten the following passage wrong. Where we've gotten it wrong is this, we've missed the entire context of the passage. Listen, everything going into this conversation in 1 Corinthians 13 has been about church life. All of it, like, like spiritual gifts before that, it's talking about worship and practices and stuff like that. And everything after it is talking about church life. Now, just a little Bible like interpretation and, and like Bible scholarship 101. Like, here's just something to know. When you're trying to understand what a passage means, you take into account what's called the context, right? So if you're trying to figure out like, like what's what's like what's a passage getting at, then what you do is you look at everything that goes into it and everything that comes after it, and that try like that can help you with understanding what the passage is about. And so if what we've been talking about is church life, and then after it is church life then perhaps what the passage is about is church life. Now, this is huge, okay? Because most of us, when we read the following passage, and most of us have read it, like we've been at weddings, they read it on 30 Rock one time years ago. I mean, like, it's a really famous, they did it. Like, it's a really famous passage, okay? Most of us only ever interpret the following passage in one of two ways. Either we think it's talking about romance and how to be a good spouse or how to find the right spouse, or, because that's how we interpret love, it's love, like in our context, is mostly about romance. Or we think it has to do with feelings. And so we go, listen, like, okay, if I'm gonna be a good Christian, I'm gonna like drum up these feelings of love. And what I wanna tell you is that's the complete wrong way to read this passage. Those things can be part of it, but they are not the context of it. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing to understand, okay? 1 Corinthians 13 is not about your feelings or your love life. It's about your interaction with the family of God. Let me say that again in the age of like, I love Jesus, but not Christians. Hold on. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about your feelings or your love life. It's about how you interact with other Christians, how you are part of a movement that's bigger than yourself. Everything before it's about that, everything after is about that. And when we like break down the passage, we're going to say, oh yeah, he's absolutely talking about this. Now, one other thing, and we're going to just pick this passage apart with the remaining time that we've got, okay? One other thing. I don't want us to view this passage as a check sheet. What a lot of us do is we come to this, I like, love is this. Okay, so I gotta be more this. And that's a mistake. Because every, like, he's just describing one thing. He's gonna describe all these attributes of love, but all of them are describing just one single thing. So it's not about doing more of a thing, it's about going, listen, hey, here's a mirror that's looking at my heart. And, okay, and I say that I love people, I say that I love the church, but is there something, Lord, like, is there something glaring here that tells me that I don't? Let, rather than, and I'm not trying to like get into like a self-accusation you know, mentality, but just really, really quick, as we approach this passage, let me suggest to you that you sort of approach it with like an air of openness. Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want to challenge me on today to grow me in so that I'll be more like Jesus in the way that I interact with and care for my brothers and sisters in the Lord? And let's just approach the Lord with, with that sort of openness. Like, Lord, is there anything you want to say? Okay. So all of that stuff said, let's look at what the Bible describes as love. First thing Paul says is this, love is patient. It's patient. 
The word in the Greek there literally is long-suffering. And, and what, like, the idea is that, okay, you like that, huh? Okay, wow. <laughs> I'm just going to get my notes. Excuse me. All right. No, but, like, we, we, but we think it's this thing of, like, you know, patient is, is just waiting. Well, it is, but it's also, it's waiting with a purpose, right? And so the idea is simply this, um, that I understand that the other person has not arrived yet, and yet I don't give up on them. Stay with me. I want to say that again. Like, when I'm patient with somebody, I understand that they are not yet now who God may have, like, is molding them to be. But I don't just check out when they show that. All right? Um, Love for the church means we accept the reality that the church and other Christians may let us down. They might not return that phone call. They might not have, have, have been there when you wanted them to be there because we understand that they're not God. They, they, they physically can't, but secondly, okay, there may be times where they don't behave as God does, and yet we don't, like, cast them aside when they act this way because we recognize that just as we are a work in progress, just as Jesus is forming us, he's forming them too, and so we don't write them off. And this is big, okay? Because how, how many church horror stories do we hear? You know, I was going through this, and the church wasn't there for me. Well, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but what I know is that if you love them, you'll be patient with them. And you will long suffer with them. You know, I, um, can, can I just say something? Um, probably nobody will notice this, but I'll just tell you an area that I, I've been working on in my preaching. Um, fun fact. Um, I've been working to be less jagged and having barbs when I talk. I, 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 for, for the longest time, I've been really, really, uh, I don't know if the word is edgy, but just I tend to sometimes take pot shots. Um, and during the last year, I, you know, the Lord confronted me about it in a dream. Um, and it was like, hey, like, no more, right? And so I've been, I've been working to try and be better with that and to be, you know, gentler when I talk. Now, here's the thing. I've been preaching for 13 years. Why now? Because he's patient. And he has exactly when I can handle it and exactly what I need to hear. And that's, what, that's one of the, the characteristics of the Lord, right? And same is true for you. Like, you can think of things like, okay, listen, like, I'm like this, but man, God just, everything just like sort of, boom, like, it's that gut punch. Not in a, like a cheap way, but just, wow, I didn't even see it. Because he's patient. And that's the exhortation for us, for each other. It, it's not that we accept bad things or, or complacent with them, but it is that we understand the person is not a formed work, yet they are being sanctified just as we are, being made like Christ. They've not arrived yet. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing, love is kind. It's just nice to people. It's not passive aggressive. It doesn't get angry at them when they're sitting in the seat that you like to sit in. Hey, can I say it like this? Love looks like Jesus, our gentle and lowly shepherd. It's just, it's soothing to the heart. It's kind. Next, it does not envy. Love doesn't look at the life of the church and go, why am I not as in as so-and-so? Why is it like they don't treat me with the priority that they treat this other group with or like the thing that I'm really interested in, they just don't, they don't prioritize in the way that, that, that they should, like they, that they prioritize this other person's thing. Like, and, and, and like, why is it like, okay, like in this church, there's cliques. And that's, by the way, I heard that of every church I've ever heard of. So it's like somebody somewhere is gonna throw a stone and say that like the church is full of cliques. And what they mean is there are people who are tighter than they are with them. 
Well, here's a fun fact for you. Like relationships cannot be commanded. And so if you spend time with people doing a thing, you'll be closer to them than if you sort of come in and then leave. Like, I, I, this is not just a stone that's thrown here. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I hear this, like, man, like, like man, the, the, the worship band or the tech team or the kids, they're just, they're, they're clicks and I'm not in. Well, have you tried serving in any of those places? You'd probably be in because we don't close our doors to anyone. But what happens? Well, there's a spirit of envy about it. There's this kind of like, listen, you treat everybody else better than you treat me. That's jealousy. It's unloving. I wish they loved me like this. I wish they loved my ministry like they loved this ministry. That is just envy. It is not like Christ. I continue. It does not boast. The word that we translate here is boast. It's the Greek word perperomai. Everybody say perperomai. Nice. Sounds a little Hawaiian, doesn't it? I don't know. I, mean, I like some perperomai with some... some some roasted pig and some pineapple would be good. <laughs> but you know what it means? Uh, it means to behave as a braggart or a windbag. <laughs> that's, that's what the word means. In other words, um, love doesn't call attention to itself. It doesn't like show up in a place and it doesn't talk about how much it could give because it's so wealthy. Like I, I could do this if the circumstances were right. And I mean, like, love doesn't talk about, like, what an asset it is to the church. I, I could serve in this area. You could be so lucky to have me if I served in this area. But it just serves. It just gives. Like, there is no, like, like, look at me and look how much I could do and look how much I am doing and look how great, how smart I am, how qualified I am, like, how great I am for this team, like, how gifted I am. It just does the thing. Because it's not, it's not boasting. Along that vein, he continues, it is not proud. It's not proud. The word here literally means puffed up. Like one of those like fish, you know, like sucks in like the air or the water, I guess, when it's underwater, you know, like that type of like puffer fish, right? Okay, like that it's inflating itself. And, and Paul goes, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't, hey, let me say it like this. Love doesn't believe that there are activities that are beneath it. Coming to a church, oh, I'd be happy to sing a solo. I'd, I'd be happy to teach a lesson. Awesome. We need people to park cars. Oh, that, that'd be a waste of my talents. Would it now? No, no. Like, love doesn't puff itself up like that. Instead, it just goes, hey, let me, let me just say like this. Um, if Jesus wasn't above washing the dirt off someone's feet, why you or why me? Look, I've been the pastor here for 13 years. I'm not about taking out the trash. Why? Because it doesn't elevate itself in this way. By the way, again, most important thing Christians can do, love, right? So it's not the peripheral thing of like maybe someday when I'm feeling like it. Like, no, today's a really great day to love. Continues in verse five. It does not dishonor others. What Paul means here, he actually got a specific context for this phrase that we're translating as dishonor uh, in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, particularly chapter 11, there's a couple things that are happening in worship uh, that he uses this phrase and he's hearkening back to. I mean, most of this stuff is hearkening back to earlier stuff, but I just want to highlight this especially. Um, so a couple things that he's been talking about with this idea of dishonoring. Number one, he's talked about uh, the way that some women are outbursting in church, work, or church services like, and like causing distractions. Um, the other thing that, that he's, he references to uh, is communion, how like 
during the practice of communion, there are some people who are, because they're, they're wealthy, like they're elevated and the church is neglecting poor people and, he's, and they're dishonoring them. So here's the thing to understand. Like when, when Paul is talking about the idea of honoring or dishonoring, basically what he's saying is this, like the way that love works is it sort of thinks about how will its actions affect the community around it. Now, let's just think about that. Like for those of us who are individualistic in our, in our spirituality, like just me and Jesus, love goes, hang on. How is, like, how, like, my behavior, how will it affect my brother or sister? And hold on, before you start going, oh, man, I can't wait to tell my brother or sister that they need to start thinking about how their actions affect me. Put the lens on yourself, not them. Put the lens on yourself. I dare you to. I mean, we, we could see this played out, like uh, the idea of honoring or dishonoring others. Just off the top of my head, I think there are three ways with this. Number one, like um, we saw this idea of not dishonoring others. Love makes me ask, hey, listen, if somebody else found out that I went to this church, how would I make this church look? Would they want to be part of it? Like in the way that I behave in the workplace and the way that I speak to my family and the way that I conduct my finances and my business dealings. Like if somebody who I'm doing business with found out I went to that church, would they want to be part of that church? Or would they go, oh gosh. Here's another one. Um, love elevates, like because of this idea of like not dishonoring others and talking about like how we treat the poor. Love elevates the lowly and treats them with the same measure of esteem and respect and value as the wealthy. Duh. Do you know that your money is not, is not the thing that gives you worth? In this age, if I've got the right bling, if I've got the right clothes, this means I'm important. No, you're not. You're important because God loves you. Done. Done. Money can never give you worth. Only Christ does that. Three, under this idea of not dishonoring, it means, let me just say this, okay? In the age where sometimes what happens is people come in and they're, they're I don't want to call them wolves, but their hearts are just misaligned and they believe church is a business opportunity. If I just network with the right people, I can get these things done for this, like the, 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 the side project or side hustle or maybe my main job that I'm doing so that um, like I can make more. Love doesn't do that. You're taking advantage of someone. And love does not dishonor. It doesn't prey on people in their innocence. That's wrong. I'm going to keep going. You know what else Love is not, he continues, it is not self-seeking. Love says it's not about me. It's not about me. Hey, church fam, love doesn't get bitter when we don't use your idea. Can I say that? I've been in enough meetings. I've been around. Somebody comes in, oh, we should do it like this. Okay, awesome. There's just some things you might not know with that, why we can't do it like that. Forget this church. They just don't love Jesus. You're laughing. I've been around enough. It happens. It's not self-seeking. He doesn't go, man, I don't determine the quality of the church and their love for God by whether or not they do what I think they should. It's not self-seeking. Like love says, it's not about me. And by the way, within that vein, that leads to the next thing. Uh, love is not easily angered. You, it's not that love never gets angry. It's just that you have to work to drum up love's fury. Last week, uh, we, were, we were talking with some friends, and one of them asked, because uh, it's just something to know. My, my, okay, let me rewind. My wife, Katie, is the best person I have ever known. Just so that you know, you, you might think you're a good person. She's got you beat, okay? Um, 
All right, and Katie is just re- like remarkably, she's just like chill. Okay, like I'm the basket case in our family. Katie is the chill rock. And um, somebody was asking, they were like, hey, I, Bert, I'm just curious, does Katie ever get angry? Like I've never seen her get angry. And, I, and, and my response was, yes, but I have to work at it. <laughs> but love's like that. Love doesn't have a short fuse. It's not, hey, love is not regularly offended. It doesn't go, oh, they said this and I'm out. Oh, they just don't get it. Love is not quick to offense. And by the way, you know why love is not easily angered? That leads to the next thing. Because it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not have a list of grievances in the way that the, the people of the church has, have, has let them down or what have you. It doesn't go, man, okay. Three years ago, I was at this service and somebody said this. Hey, last week I walked in and somebody at the coffee bar didn't immediately greet me. Hey, like, you know, I was part of a small group and somebody said a thing that, that I took, like, to mean they were saying this and they didn't care and da, 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 da. Um, let me just say like this, love isn't looking for debts to cash in. Because that's what it is, right? Like, like when I'm sort of holding this outstanding balance of bitterness and I'm angry, I'm like, okay, like what, what am I saying? You should have treated me this way, but you didn't, you owe me a better thing. And love doesn't do that. It doesn't keep records of wrong. Let me say this, like take a step further. Um, for the one who's bitter at church, and you say things off the cuff angrily, the church does this, man. The, the church hurt me. The church is full of people who are so mean to me and so judgmental. The church does this. My response is always, tell me the person's name. Like, no, the church, no, no, no. What person? Maybe two. Three is a stretch, but it wasn't the church. The church is not like a nebulous entity that just kind of exists for like as a blank target. The church is people. What person hurt you? By the way, isn't this a neat tactic of the enemy? If, if he just keeps you angry at the church in general, you never have to forgive anyone. Ah, because well, there's no human being involved. It's just the organization. But what I'm telling you is that, that, that love doesn't do that. Love doesn't look for an excuse to maintain bitterness and hang on to it and hang on to it and hang on to it. Instead, even when it's grieved and it will be grieved, even when it's let down and it will be let down, it goes, God, I thank you for the opportunity. Please help me forgive Sally. Please help me forgive John. Please help me forgive Josh. Like instead of just being like, oh, they're always like this and they're all this and they're all that. No, no. Lord, thank you. You've given me the opportunity to to choose the same level of forgiveness that you've demonstrated to me in Christ because you're forming me. By the way, what, can I just like dream with you for a second here? What would happen if you forgave the Christians who offended you and accepted that they are just as broken and in need of Jesus as you are. Like, what would happen? What level of love would abound if we stopped believing that our brothers and sisters should act in the place of God and were, in fact, our brothers and sisters in need of Christ like us? Paul continues, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, it doesn't celebrate vice in yourself, but also corporately. Um, so yeah, like love doesn't like look for opportunities to sin, for sure. 
Love isn't reflecting unchristlikeness. But then let's take this step further. Um, because remember, the, the conversation is corporate. So let me say it like this. Um, love, like, love doesn't do this thing where, like, maybe you hear about somebody's fall. Like somebody, like, they didn't live up to the measure of Christ. Like maybe ministry leader or brother or sister in the Lord, like they, they, they fell, they crashed and burned hard. You know what love doesn't do? It doesn't find that, like, twinge of delight to share it with somebody else. Hey, did you hear what they did? Oh, did they? Wow. If you're really spiritual, you, you mask it as a prayer request. Okay, really quick. <laughs> um, so I have to say, did you hear what Fabio did? And I was like, that's a weird name to use, right? But then, like, um, like did you hear what they did? Uh, and then, right, isn't that a weird name? Okay, like, uh, more, hang on. Ken's over here. So she's, you hear what Ken did? Ken, I'm not aware that you did anything, but just, okay. Like, like Ken, I hope you didn't. So, like, like Ken, <laughs> Ken's starting to sweat. So, like, uh, he's not. All right, so, like, Ken, did you hear what Ken did? But listen, like, there's that difference between, like, sharing a moment of broken heart. I'm not saying, like, you don't share prayer requests. But you know, don't you, when there's that twinge of delight in sharing it? When you sort of enjoy the way you connect with other, like another person by sharing someone else's dirt? I can say, like, this, love doesn't gossip. Um, instead, what love does is it can't, please hear me, it can't wait, since it doesn't uh, delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, love can't wait to talk about good things that you see someone else doing. Love, it just, it gets so pumped up when it hears about like somebody being godly and somebody's serving somebody else and, and, and the church going for like, like man, like, like listen, I, I, like, I, I love our church. I'll give you an example. I mean, I love talking about our outreach team. I love how a couple weekends ago, they went to a little girl who has leukemia's house and built her a Disney backyard. Like, oh man, that gets me excited. Like, I love that. You know what? Because I love them. Okay, instead, it's not like, but listen, do I know dirt in the church? Heck yes, I do, but it's none of your business. Man, like, let's talk about that. Like, man, isn't that so great? Like, look, man, like, here's Hunter, and like, and Hunter's like loving people that rise up and he's sharing his heart with them. Like, that's awesome. Like, man, here's Rob, and Rob's sitting here, and he's like trying to figure out his calling so he can serve people more and more and more. Man, that's great. Why? Because love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Hey, man, what would happen if we were that kind of church? Man, I see what God's doing you, and it's great. I'm gonna keep going. I'm, I'm gonna do something a little bit different. Um, Going, so we've been reading the NIV translation of this passage, but I feel like the NIV actually kind of makes the next part a little bit confusing. So I'm going to switch translations to the ESV because um, I think it's a little bit more direct with, with uh, the Greek here. So he, he continues in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 7. But I'm going to switch to ESV. He says this, love bears all things. And it doesn't mean that you're a doormat. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's nothing that love can't overcome. There's nothing that, listen, if we love each other, we're going to find a way. We're going to find a way to forgive. We're going to find a way to stay together. We're going to find a way to serve together. We're going to find a way to be united in Christ. Love bears all things. There's nothing that can defeat it. He continues, it believes all things. And he's not talking about being gullible. It's the idea that love believes the best about somebody. Someone hurts your feelings and you go, they didn't mean it. And I don't need to confront them every time they hurt my feelings. I'm going to let that go. Now, maybe there's a time where it's appropriate if it's a pattern, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, they didn't mean that, or maybe they're having a bad day, or you know what? Like, um, if somebody doesn't call me back, I don't assume that they don't care about me because I love them, okay? Maybe, maybe some stuff's going crazy at, at work or at home that I don't know about. They just, it just slipped their mind. They forgot. That's what it means, like, to believe all things. It's believing the best about somebody. 
He continues, love believes all things, and he says, love hopes all things. Love causes, if I love you, love causes me to be your champion and your cheerleader. I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers. I'm hoping that things will go well for you. Yes, there's also the hope of salvation. I'm hoping that Jesus will continue in, in you until the very end, this redeeming process, that he'll continue to make you like him, that you will stand with him in glory forever. I hope that for you. But let me just take this a step further, okay? If I'm hoping the best, and that's love, you know what that means? Um, it means I have to ask, and let's just, let's just bring it in, okay? Is there anybody that you or, or me that I would secretly delight in seeing fail? And it's not because, oh, they're doing something ungodly. It's because they hurt me, and I don't want their life to be well. Anybody there? It's not love. It's not love. Bert, what if they're engaged in sin? You know that's not what I'm talking about. Don't hang on anymore. Next, he says, love endures all things. In other words, there is no wound that love can't overcome. There's no circumstance we face that we can't get through, no immaturity that love can't grow, no annoyance it can't work out. Love is unstoppable. And by the way, what would happen if that's who we were as a church? This is the type of love that we demonstrated for each other. It's possible. I mean, it is possible. You know, the, the ancient Christian historian named Tertullian, he writes of uh, the Romans who were themselves persecuting the church, hated the church of Jesus. And he talks about how they marveled at the church's love, and, and, and he records, I think it was a centurion simply saying, see how well they love each other. They're willing to die for each other. They're there for each other. What would happen if we did that? But here's the thing to understand, okay? To get there, it doesn't start with demanding it from someone else. Here's where a lot of us get wrong. We've approached church and church life with a consumer mentality. We think if I just go to the right place, I'll find the right Christians who are the really spiritual ones. And what you don't understand is every church ever is broken because every church ever is made up of people just like you. So here's what I want you to know. Hey, church man, we can do this. But here's the thing for us, like the exhortation. And if you're taking notes, write this down. We will never stumble upon the perfect church, but we can create a better one by looking at the love we personally demonstrate. Let me say that again. We will never, ever stumble upon the perfect church, but we can create a really good one, a better one than we, than, than we are in right now. And I love the one that we're part of right now. But it happens not by demanding that our brothers and sisters shape up and ship out. It comes by me looking at me and be like, how can I love you better? And you doing the same. But we could. Ah, well, where I tried to love the, the, the church really well and they didn't return it. Again, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not self-seeking. If, if it's the, I did this, but they didn't, you're asking the wrong questions. No, it's let me look in the mirror and see what I can do. And please, brother, sister, hear me. If you miss, according to like what we've read going into this passage, if you miss everything else, but get this, 
You're doing great. And the flip is also true. If you miss this, forget everything else, you're doing terrible. That's the, that's the passage. We can have the best life that we want as a church family, we can. But it doesn't start by demanding. It starts by looking and saying, Lord, how can I love more? So how, let's just, hey, here's a crazy idea. Let's just own maybe we haven't loved well, okay? Like, let's just, like, let's just, okay, I'm, he's talking crazy, man. Like, look, like, like, but what, like, what if, what's the, the possibility that maybe, just maybe, we have not loved our brothers and sisters well, but today's the day where God changes that in us. And so I, I listen, I, all I know to do is pray, because like, what I also know is this, this doesn't happen except by the Holy Spirit. So let's go to him together, and let's see what he does among us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we are a people who repent of our lack of love. We are. God, I confess, I have not loved as well as I could love. And yes, no one ever does, but that doesn't mean that you're not growing me or molding me or confronting me or rebuking me or correcting me out of love for me and for your, your other kids. Lord, would you make us a people who love well? More than we're gifted, and you've given us gifts. Let us love well. Let us love you. Let us love our brothers and sisters. Let us love our enemies. Those who offend us. Those who hurt us. Those who anger us. Let us love them with the love of Christ. The patient love that you've shown us. Let us be a people categorized by your love. Please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. You have a great rest of your week in this fall, and we'll see you next week. Okay.